content warning for bodily endangerment and death. Hello and welcome to the Billy Shears Club. I'm your host, Caleb Clark, and with me today we have Gary Dunkerley. How are you doing today, Gary? I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks for asking. Today we've got two lovely albums for you folks. We have Kick One by Arca, except with weird capitalization things going on, and Dots and Loops by Stereolab. Uh, how about you go ahead and start us off with a little bit about Arca there? Yeah. All right, um, so Arca is an electronic artist. I, I suppose my introduction, my introduction to Arca was an album that came out called Mutant um, several years ago, I think around 2015 or so. But what I really, what really grabbed me was an earlier EP. Its title is like ampersand, ampersand, like five ampersands in a row. And it was like a mixtape type thing. It was just really cool because there, there was this thing that was going on, I guess, in New York where there were all of these experimental electronic musicians that were playing around with CDJs and just, you know, really ripping up like all the sounds in, in there and making them sound incredibly alien and different. So this is what that first mixtape what was. It was just all these super distorted, crazy alien sounds that were put together in this really compelling way. Um, I, I really like that, that mix, that mixtape, but, uh, I wanted to talk about kick one because a lot of things have happened since then. So early Arca, like they were a student at NYU. They were doing all these raves, doing like deconstructed club type stuff in New York while they were a student. Um, they got a production credit on Yeezus. Uh, I forget which tracks, but there's like five tracks that they have like a production credit on. And um, yeah, and uh, they ended up producing one of Bjork's albums. I, I, I'm blanking on which one. Volnikira. So uh, eventually Arca got the attention of Bjork and Arca was a huge fan, so Bjork asked them to come in and be like an executive producer on this album. They were huge fans, so they were able to do a bunch of stuff that referenced like Bjork's earlier work and stuff like that. They ended up becoming very close friends, and Arca sort of became a protege of Bjork. But what's interesting about all of that and the reason I bring it up is there's an anecdote that at some point they were riding around the back of a taxi or something, and they were just having fun and laughing. And Bjork turns to Arca and says something like, you have a really beautiful voice. You should sing on your next record. So you could imagine like Arca has been looking up to Bjork like their entire life pretty much right so you hear this and you can imagine how emotional a moment that might have been but uh subsequently they released the self-titled album which does feature them singing in uh okay yeah so it was sung in spanish okay so yeah anyway after this sort of conversation with bjork in the back of this taxi cab 
Arca released self-titled album and ended up singing in Spanish. And so then you fast forward a little bit three years later to the release of Kick One. And this is interesting to me because Kick One kind of feels more like a pop album in a lot of ways. Like uh, the self-titled album, a lot of it feels like uh, sort of ballad-like. So there's lots of like slower moving songs and Kick One does have uh, a, a few tracks like this, but it also has quite a few other things like uh, there's stuff that sounds like, you know, sort of Latin club music. But so I, I, I like this album and I think it's interesting because it, it represents this sort of melding of the post vocal arca with some of their, their the impulses that you see earlier in their work where it's very experimental very abstract alien electronic music that is almost like physically felt but like listening it listening to it almost is a physical experience in some sense i don't know uh does, does that does that like gel with your experience listening to arca maybe this release in particular but others as well yeah. Yeah, sort of like a yeah, definitely a lot of. The, I was listening to this. It's definitely like I picked up was more just the meticulousness that she that they use with different sounds, and just like it all sounds very finely tuned, almost to like sort of a art piece level, where yeah. every, you can sort of hear every little thing. But yeah, it definitely a lot of them use a lot more sort of that atmospheric side that you can feel uh, and then if or more of like glitchy percussion and so there is definitely sort of that more visceral experience on a few of them but yeah it's definitely a really cool album sort of i guess because like most of the times whenever i get a more experimental album on my plate from the last five years in electronics i'm like oh this must be hyper pop and this was a little bit hyper poppy but overall it's like very interesting listen, definitely. Not like, yeah, freaking get into. Yeah, a I, bit more mature. I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know if I would use the label hyper pop, but I, I guess yeah. we can argue about whether labels yeah. like this are sensible <laughs> to begin with, or like you know, coherent anyway. But like, yeah. um, I, I don't know. I guess like this album does have moments of senses. Where there's like a sense of humor, yeah. that's that's on the floor. I guess when I think of hyperpop, I tend to think of songs that like not necessarily ironic, but definitely created with a sense of humor. And Arca, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know whether Arca is personally funny. Something tells me they are, but th their music do doesn't communicate humor to me. Like, like, like I wouldn't listen to them and. They don't come across as humorous in their work, I don't think, typically. It's a mm. lot more sober, ser mm. like serious, intense. Mm. You, you said meticulous, and I think mm -hmm. that's, the, that's a correct sort of... I think that's a very good word for describing mm. just the, the way that it, it sounds, because it's... Mm. You know, they're, they're a very skilled production uh, music mm. producer. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, this. 
That is fair. I guess, like, just the reason I mentioned Hyperpop is there's a few songs that they get closer to that, I felt like. Uh, we could, we'll get into them, but like non binary and Rip the Slit, but yeah, it's definitely a lot more artsy. And it feels, uh, and just generally feels like. Uh, I don't know. But, like, I just compared the Hyperpop because, like, there were just a few of the songs that seemed very hyperpoppy just because, like, that's my usual reference for more exper- experimental electronic stuff, but, like, more like non binary or Rip the Slit, but yeah, definitely, definitely is a lot more experimental and conceptual and also just it's like you mentioned not as humorous but also just sounded like she never she doesn't like pop music in the way that a lot of the hyper pop people do like like you know 100 gex or charlie xex they're definitely very big pop fans and yeah she's much the closest she gets is like more of stuff that you would hear in a club also like the dance remixes at best yeah and i think uh, and I think, like, this is where, like, Arca's home base is, like, the club is, yeah. like, this is kind of where they made, they, like, built their chops and stuff that would later become a, a collection of studio albums. And I think it's weird. I don't really, I don't necessarily know how to distinguish club from pop, though. I, I, I guess there are differences, because some of pop is, like, played on the radio and in the club. Club music is played, nightclubs, but yeah, because like it sounds like it's much more designed for dancing. Like it can be very instrumental based and generally follow for longer versus pop, where it's usually much more structured, has you know some more standard courses and verses and stuff. But anyway, anyway, I just like that was a tangent, but yeah, okay. yeah, but yeah, I'm gonna get into. You want to get into tracks? Yeah, sure. Uh, give me just one second. Cool, yeah. So, individual tracks, I guess. Like, so it opens with non-binary. And I really like, I really like this track. Because uh, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, their earlier stuff, like, um, oh, what was it? Like, uh, Stretch EP, uh, you know, 5 amps, 5 ampersands. Can I just call it five amps from now on? Sure. Okay, I'm inventing my own jargon on the fly. Five amps. It's so like five amps and um, the stretch EP both have like like some uh, some rapping that's going along with this. And it was I really like those tracks because it's mostly like abstract club, deconstructed club type stuff. So it's nice to hear a human voice, and it's. Their approach to like, you know, managing the vocal vocals is, I think, very excellent. I really want more Arca to produce more rap albums. But uh, I, I, I like that the opening track is sort of calling back to that, but it's a little bit more spoken word e than I, I would say that sort of its predecessors in in those two EPs I mentioned are. Definitely, let's see, non-binary. I feel like this was very much a statement piece, where it's just sort of establishing their identity as, you know, both in terms of like non-binary person who will be doing sort of these lyrical stream of consciousness things, and also in terms of some of the sounds like 
that'll be throughout the album, like you say, more of the deconstructed club type stuff. I've, for my personal oh. taste, at least as far as my enjoyment, it's more on the like minimal and art housey side, like to the point that I was a little bit. But like, I really like how the sort of tension builds to the refrain, and then it goes into like the guitar. Yeah. Or, is it a guitar? It's weird and distorted, so it could be something else that they manipulated to sound sort of like a guitar. I wasn't sure. Let me take a look. I'm actually not sure. I I think it it might be a guitar, but like it also kind of sounds like a, uh, what what is that? Like um the 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 key instrument that predates the piano. The harpsichord. Um, the har- like it kind of sounds like a harpsichord to me. I'm not sure that it's a real guitar. I think it's probably yeah. created in the studio. Yeah. Because it's it's not very warm sounding. Yeah. But yeah, but I I think this is like non-binary. I don't know. I guess I talked earlier. Like Arca doesn't seem to be of humor is not at the forefront of Arca's music. But this thing does end with something that I think is funny. Or they just go like teehee. I I, I heard that the first time I heard that I thought that was hilarious. But, uh, yeah. Um, and then I would say, like, so that one's kind of, that one's, like, kind of poppy. I, I would describe it as, like, accessible. If we were to put things into categories like accessible and not accessible, right? I would describe non-binary as accessible. And then we go to, like, Mechatrefe. And this I would also describe as accessible. And uh, I think it's a jam. I love this track so much. Yeah, it's got that, the beat's really cool and sort of that and clubby, but it, it brings on sort of that glass guitar sound, chorus, and those things. Well, I just really like the vocal manipulations that are going on in that track. <laughs> like, uh, oh, I, I don't know if you watched, did you watch the music video for this track? Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, oh, uh... Definitely, definitely take a look at it because I think um, it ends up making use of a lot of data moshing techniques as they're changing between like different outfits and stuff. And sometimes they're more masculine appearing. Sometimes they're more feminine appearing. Like you know, sometimes like an exposed chest. Sometimes not. Like these sorts of things. And I don't know. And it ends up like timing very well with these interesting vocal manipulations. I, I think it's wonderful. It's one of my favorite music videos. Let's see. Uh, which which track was your favorite? Uh, I will probably have to go for two sort of as my favorites, like uh, Calor and Afterwards. I think I overall prefer the ballads, and of the ballads, these were my favorites because they're both very Nice love songs, very pretty vocals. Bjork shows up on afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Sort of cloudy or, uh, well, Calor is more sort of like a, I have trans ballad without the drums, and then afterwards is sort of a cloudy type thing. They're both very nice, well-produced vibes. So. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's, I, I think it's cool. This is the first time Bjork has shown up in an Arca album. 
and uh, yeah it's definitely like a i think i think it the track does showcase their synergy but also the fact that like arca is basically a bjork historian <laughs> this is something um when bjork is giving an interview about like the making of Nakira, she said like oh i would show up and be like oh i'm interested in doing something like this and then arca immediately is like oh so like you know track five i'm like you know a minute in on track five like yeah. arca knows bjork very well yeah. and i think this track showcases the fact that like you know Arca knows Bjork well and is able to create and engineer something that will work very well for her. Yeah. yeah. Did you like uh, what? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, uh, it also just reminded me a lot of another big Bjork fan of Times Casino. And, like, yeah. His, like, sort of super saturated vocal sampling. And, like, it, it definitely sounds a lot like that, too. It's very. Sound, but with a lot more precision than Clams uses, honestly. It, it sounds like Clams Casino, but really good. Really implying Clams Casino isn't good. He he has a, he has a lot of good moments, but he has some less moments, and he sort of has a... His vibe know. is very set. I mean, he produced I'm God, so... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think he gets to... I, I think he gets, like... I don't know how you can give him enough credit. But yeah, what did you, did you like Watch by any chance? Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So that was another one that sounds really hyper poppy. It's super tight and the sort of in the club style lyrics. Yeah. Really enjoyable. I think it's Shy Girl was rapping. Yeah. Do you know, do you know her other work? I don't I don't know anything else about her, but it, it was a good first impression. Yeah, she kind of she's kind of another artist that's sort of falling in this weird nether region that's like post club hyper pop type stuff. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, she she's got a track called Slime that you might like. That's very tightly produced. It's it's a uh, produced by a different person though, a uh, Sega Bodega. But uh, yeah, I, I, I was excited with this track because it seems like it, it was a meeting of two people that are sharing an aesthetic. In a lot of ways, they're doing like glitchy post-club. I gotta say, one song that I wasn't a huge fan of was uh, Rip the Slit. Mm. It just got really repetitive and the vocal was kind of annoying. Because it's just saying Rip the Slit over and over again. Hmm. I, just, I did not vibe. Did not vibe. No. Hmm. I'm I'm going to abstain from commenting on the slit might be, but I guess I I sort of just did. Oh well. Edit that out, please. Anyway. Um. Yeah. I, I guess like uh, I guess one thing that's interesting about Arca though, like um, so I, I I guess I talked a little bit about how listening to Arca is sort of like you listen with your ears, but you also kind of listen with your body, and I find that this is true if you're if you're listening to it with speakers, sort of in the way that it's 
tended to be listened to like uh you know in a in a club sort of setting like th th there's like an odd physicality to the way that the music is created the way that the sounds are um constructed and i wonder if it's just like the novelty of the noises or if th there's something more going on here but when i was when i was getting ready for this episode i stumbled across an interview but I was looking for interviews with Arca because I realized I'd never actually seen like a video of them talking on on camera. And I was like, oh, what, what do they sound like? I couldn't find couldn't find one. Maybe I wasn't looking hard enough, but I did find like a text interview between um, the Spanish uh, performance artist Marina hang on, Abramovich. Am I butchering that? Yeah, Marina Abramovich and uh, Arka. And this is kind of interesting because um, Marina Abramovich is well known for doing very intense sorts of performance art where frequently she's subjecting herself to intense... She's kind of like performance art David Blaine, where she's like, okay, I'm going to live perform this thing where I take a knife and I'm playing that game where you stab in between your fingers but I'm like towards the end I'm like intentionally stabbing myself or she's using like a fork or like other things like she has another performance piece that's like um I think it's something where she would lie on a table for a period of 10 hours and there'd just be all these objects around audience members could do whatever they wanted pretty much and so i think there was like a gun on the table so you know one person comes in puts the gun against her head and her performance is just lying there and not reacting to anything no matter no matter what was said around her no matter how people reacted or what they did but she talked about this interesting thing where the moment that the performance is over she stood up there were people that were in the room they just sort of looked at her and then kind of ran away. But like, but like, that's just very interesting. But um, anyway, so she's a performance artist that does this very intense, that has this very intense practice that's very centered on physicality of her own body, yeah. like feeling pain, inflicting pain. There's a photograph you can find online of her like holding it's a photograph with another artist. I forget his name. But the way, what it is, is like, she's holding on to a bow. And she's leaning back. And the male artist, he's not leaning, but he's holding the string and has notched an arrow, which is pointing at her because of how she's... But it's interesting because even though he's notching the arrow and holding the string, she's the one that's like introducing the danger here I, I don't know it's anyway like maybe like these maybe these descriptions are like i guess like so it's just interesting that you have this person with this very physical art practice that is interviewing arca whose music to me reads very physical very focused on the body focused on, focused on sensuality focused 
you know, gender dysphoria type, type things. Like, and you can see this a lot in, um, like in a lot of uh, the art that accompanies Arca's early discography, right? It frequently features these sort of, this sort of, gro these sort of grotesque physical, like, 3D generated figures that are like corpulent, like very like physical in the way that Lucy and Freud paintings are, like this sort of thing. So it, it, it's just interesting that this intersection is, are, are these two artists both operating in Spain, both very interested in physicality. And they're interviewing, like, they're talking about death and their artistic process and stuff. But, well, I'll just say that this interview is very interesting. And I think people who are aware of Abramovich's art, this ends up being an interesting lens to look at Arca if you haven't already. And people who are curious about how to appreciate Abramovich. I feel like if you already know Arca, then you might you might know some of it already. <laughs> but the interview ends with Abramovich uh, saying that she wants to adopt Arca. <laughs> she's just apparently yeah, very like, personable. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think I don't think Abramovich would just say this. But I think she was like, "Wow, actually, we're we're kind of like." You know, you know, connected. We're related to one another. So I don't. I, I think I'm not grasping at straws. This is there's a connection that's acknowledged by the artists themselves, or at the very least, Abramovich. <laughs> uh, let's see. Time. I like the sort of distorted synth swells. Like it has that sort of octave jump synth that kept going, and I wasn't really, I didn't really like it that much. It just sounded weird to me personally. Mm -hmm. uh, Kiki, that uh, between the sort of bass and the rap style that they choose, it was sort of weird and disjointed. But I really like that chorus with the regenerated girl to generate that love in the face of fear, fear in the face of God. Like that was a really cool chorus. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's like half in Spanish and half in English, so we can talk again about like uh, like the, the presence. Or I guess like duality, but the breaking of duality as well, going on in Arca's work. I, I will say that I like the uh, I like the I think it's called the bronze remix of that a lot. I like it more than the one that appears on the album. <laughs> Other songs on here, KOK. I didn't really get. No, oh, I just... love KOK. I don't, I don't know, like, I wasn't really into the beat or the lyrics, and I felt like Rosalia was just not super well-utilized on this one. Like, just her general style, I felt, doesn't mesh super great with Arca, just because she's a very... Or at least the stuff that I was introduced to her on is much more traditional flamenco. She got a little bit lost in there, but I don't know. That's me pers personal. I... I'm a big fan of that track, but I will admit that it does feel like it's wandering a bit from what I think is like its center. And I think its center is, is that it's sort of a post-club take on 
like you, you know like latin club music right and i think i i disagree i think that the vocal the way that arca utilizes the vocals is quite powerful but i will say like i, I when i was listening to klk to prepare for this i found myself wishing that rosa had more prominent because I, I liked the portions where her vocals appeared more than the instrumental portions that divided it up and i thought that kind of wandering away from the center of the track too you know too much gotcha yeah and the last few i have the shiki i wasn't super into i guess i didn't really get the beat on that one and then Machote and Noke Danada, I both really like. They was, those were both going back to the ballad sound. Yeah. Noke no Danada is it's a really beautiful track, I think. Yeah. Overall, a really nice album. And it's more like, like we've been saying, the exper- experimental side. Took me a few lessons, but I managed to get it at like a greater level than I do with a lot of experimental stuff, so... Very nice. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it does a good job at writing, writing the line between club, between pop, between you, you know, like uh, ballad, ballads, and all of this this stuff. I, I wouldn't describe it as a perfect album, but I think it's like a good case. I think it's like a good case study of Arca's style and possible future directions. And I think a lot of people looking at it, like different people will probably come away with different favorite tracks or preferences within the album. But I, I think there's something in here for everybody. If you want some clubbier, like ballads, you'll find some great ballads. Just like Bjork, Bjork's here. I think Sophie comes in too for a song. Oh, yes. R.I.P. Ready for Dots and Loops? Yes, sir. Alrighty, so some background on Stereo Lab as a band. It sort of started with a, when a Timothy Gann was in this 80s indie pop left-wing group called uh, McCarthy. Uh, he ended up starting a relationship with a singer named Letitia Sadier. And when McCarthy broke up, uh, the two of them decided to start their own band and named it Stereo Lab. It was sort of like more of like a general dream pop drone rock type thing. They started releasing a lot of EPs and some more uh, some albums in the early nineties. They had a lot a lot of people who would sort of rotate in and out, but the two mainstays have been uh, Mary Hansen, who's like sort of their second vocalist and does a lot of counter melodies and harmonies with Letitia. And uh, Andy Ramsey who's been their drummer. For pretty much since 1992, anytime they've been active. So they build up a following and they get really big in, uh, well, in a certain sense of the word, by which I mean. <laughs> they became very critically acclaimed and got onto a bunch of college rock stations with a king, uh, emperor. It was like Emperor Tomato Ketchup, I think. Let me double check because it's, yeah, it's, it's just em- a weird. Yeah, it's Emperor Tomato Ketchup. And thank you, Emperor Tomato Ketchup. And uh, then right after with this one, Dots and Loops, because uh, they ended up getting more into like experimental stuff and crop rock. 
and with this one they leaned more into like sort of lounge and sort of 60s jazz and early bossa nova and psychedelic folk it's almost a pop album and then afterwards they went to decline well also i should mention that throughout they're often very mar- upfront marxists and a lot of their lyrics have to deal with that uh sadly in 2002 uh mary hansen is hit by a truck on her bicycle and passes away and the band has stated that you know they miss her dearly the vo- her counter melodies were a huge part of their sound but they still feel her presence when they're recording uh, the band keeps recording, but they go on hiatus in 2009 and all sort of they pursue solo projects. But they sort of reunited in uh, 2019 to do some more touring and really uh, deluxe editions of their albums. So, yeah. This is Dots and Loops. Definitely, uh, it's, I think it's generally referred to as their most like pleasing to the ear album. It's, you know, this very lush sort of version of trip-hop and electronica that was big in the 90s and it's all very you know pretty sounding and then people sort of softly murmuring in the background about the proletariat will rise above the bourgeoisie on 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 so yeah yeah what do you what do you think generally yeah so i wish i'd spent more time looking at the lyrics i i the Marxist element was sort of lost on me, I think, as yeah. time listeners, unless you're reading a lot of the album sung in both English and French, if you are not bilingual, you, you may not r- realize what the lyrical content is. Yeah. But I'm, I'm now curious about that. I, I'll have to look into that more closely. The thing that grabbed me, though, is um, I think this is kind of a fun pairing with Arca just because there's some really there's some interesting and experimental sort of electronic stuff that's going on like at the very beginning of a what, is it Brockhedge? Brockhage? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be generally guessing on how you actually pronounce some of these titles. So. Yeah, I'll call it Brockhedge. So Brockhedge it sort of opens with this like the synth that just sort of like cuts in, it sounds almost like Morse code, but I'm yeah. not sure that it is. It almost sounds random. And I remember when I heard that, I, I, guess I was like, oh. oh, okay. So this is this kind of album. Yeah. And, then it, and then it comes in and it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of loungy. It's kind of like, you know, 60, 60s, like psychedelia, stuff like that, kind of shoegazy. And, and I thought it was interesting because it reminded me of another album that came later by, uh, oh, what was it? Okay, yeah, Sweet Trip, Velocity, Design, Comfort. It's released in like 2003. So is that 10, 10-ish years after this? Oh, six years. Six this years? Was, okay. This was 97. Okay, yeah. So, so six years later, an album that I really like Partially because it sounds so far ahead of its time, Sweet Trip is also doing like indie rock kind of shoegaze thing, but with a lot of really experimental and often very intense electronic stuff that you don't normally see on this side of like club music. But so I was very excited to listen to this and I was like, oh, oh wow, maybe maybe the, the folks at Sweet Trip were listening to Stereolab. <laughs> 
possible. Uh, a lot of the articles mention how influential they've been. Like, apparently, this is one of the very first bands to be called post rock. So, yes, I've never really understood what post rock exactly means. I've heard people call maybe I confuse it with like no wave a lot. We have like Sonic yeah. Youth, you have like all these people that were just like breaking away from grunge and breaking away from punk rock and stuff. They were just like, okay, we're going to use synthesizers again. Yeah. Yeah. I think as far as... I'm not entirely clear. I think No Wave is much more centered around like late 70s New York and is, yeah, definitely generally very abrasive. Although the the main group that I'm familiar with that gets called New Wave I mean, No Wave is ESG, who are just a very stripped-down disco band. The uh, post rock, hmm. I think, is much more focused on atmosphere and just doing whatever because rock is dead. Long live post rock. But yeah, uh, rock. I'm, I'm gonna just say rock gay, but rock up the or just the opening track. It's yeah, definitely very nice, especially with the uh, little vibraphone riff that keeps going. And the lyrics are sort of about, like, material needs and becoming stupefied under consumerism, you know, just having to keep sustaining yourself. And just the, just how it leads to self-destruction. And it's kind of repetitive, but more in sort of a way that entrances you. And, you know, you just sort of... Yeah, it has a lulling quality. It almost sounds like a, a lullaby. But yeah. I, think it, I think it's interesting that... um. Like, uh, so, so the, the sad passing of their backup vocals, right? The, yeah. one, one of the first things that grabbed me, apart from the interesting, like, sort of production uh, choices, was uh, the, the background vocals, because they really, they really are quite lovely. And they reminded, uh, they reminded me a lot of, like, um, Sufjan Stevens is, like the other artists that I think of when I think of these beautiful sort of like, like female back, backing vocals. And uh, yeah, so like it, it does lend it sort of like a, a glimmering, soft, almost like sleepy kind of vibe. Let's see. What else you want to j- jump to on here? Let's see. Uh... So, Bakergate like kind of like opens you up. Miss Modular, I think Miss Modular is very fun. Um, yeah. But uh, like, it's like easy to listen to, but it's interesting. There's a lot of there. There were a lot of like like song. I, I feel like it's a good case. It's a case, It's like a good case study in solid songwriting that's going on here. And I, I think, is this their most popular track? I have to look up what's considered their track there. I definitely feel it is the, uh, at least for this particular album, it's the most pop accessible. It's just mm-hmm. got that really nice uh, it riff and all the little horn bits. It sounds very much like something a Harry Mancini or... Uh, Vince Guaraldi, if he found an instrument other than 
of piano lying around mm -hmm. that they would have put out in the 60s. Okay, I'm looking, at least as far as on Spotify, their, looks like their most streamed song is French Disco, spelled with a K. So. That's not even on this album. Yeah, it was, looks like, I mean, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely a very pleasant one. And I, I did end up looking up the lyrics, and it's sort of about illusion giving excitement, but also still being an illusion. Mm. It's interesting. It's the thing about when they like approach. You know, I mentioned their Marxist. Definitely a little bit more around the armchair philosophical side, and you could sort of rope this in by being, you know, like illusion of means da da da. But you know, it's it's still a fairness. Yeah, I think so. I think um. But like when I listened, when I was listening through, so Miss Modular struck me as just a very pleasant, poppy sort of song. So then we get to the, the flower called Nowhere. Yeah. This was, there was another moment where I just popped up from my seat a little bit. Uh -huh. Just another production choice that I really liked. That part where um, they have, this is another situation or another instance that really showcases power of the background vocal. That part where they sort of have a gate closing on the vocals. So it's just like ha ah, ah. yeah. like like it's I'm not gonna be able to replicate but it just goes from like silence silence to you know a bunch of voices silence a bunch of voices and I feel like it's partially arresting because I think they're coming in slightly ahead of the one count on each measure. So, or at the very least, it sounds like it's coming in. And it's, that was just very surprising to me that, whoa, okay. Yeah. Do you know what part I'm talking Yeah, yeah. That, I definitely remember that part, and then it goes sort of, Sort of the one sort of guitar comes in and it turns into you know jamming time. Yeah, I, I guess like um, I I guess this this is just like an. I feel like sometimes I listen to like shoegaze type stuff or like like indie sort of music and especially because their 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 sound is so like sort of like soft and pleasant on this album because you got like the lounge you got like the 1960s thing going on but like and then all of a sudden there's just these out of left field production choice like hey, hey. and uh I, I i think i started noticing more and more of these as i can to listen and i think uh you know if you're if you're going to be Supporting a political ideology, like albums, because maybe they'll read the lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rock Nowhere definitely was a really nice one because it's got sort of that space rock waltz feel with all the little harpsichord hits throughout, and just the really pleasant vocals. And I think it was about people getting stuck in daily life. It's just a very Another very soothing one. But then we get into diagonals where 
is that weird shifting flangey 5-4 beat and the marimbas and then, and then it goes into a really nice groove for something that's in 5-4 and yeah I, it's just super there's nice. also just like there's also just like this like so it's like a little so it's like a little um oh what is that called it's like a little drum break and they're like pitching it as they're going another yeah all of a sudden i'm like okay i'm paying attention you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because like 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 it's it's like a subtle. I mean, I guess it's not that subtle, but like I, I guess with the with the band when I'm listening to indie rock, like I'm assuming that all their acoustic instruments, they're you know they're EQ'd and they're mastered and all of that, but like they're otherwise like unmolested. But in this one, like they recorded like a drum track, they put it on like an MPC or something and played it and then pitched it up. Yeah. And that's kind of—I just think that's cool because it's great. I guess I don't know what the genre standards were at this time, but but like this this sort of thing doesn't doesn't seem to be common as far as I know in pop, where you're like, okay, we're going to take advantage of the fact that you assume that we're playing acoustic instrument. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure how common it was. It is definitely a super playful style. I feel if I were to compare this to some, someone, I would say it was like the Cardigans meets Radiohead, whereas the you know the Cardigans very big on like sort of nostalgic, loungy, very anti the uh, you know oh, we're the cool grungy kids type stuff, but mixed with the Radiohead experimentalism and mm-hmm. big ideas. And so it comes into something that's really cool and a form of, you know, very heady thinking music that I still appreciate a lot more because it, you know, has that love of beauty. And it's, like, really hard to make something that's happy and beautiful in any ways because, like, when it does work, it works like this. Stevie Wonder, Peach Boys, beautiful music. Yeah. Yeah. And it manages to do so, like, uh, I wonder why that is. Maybe it's because we're, we're more likely to... Maybe it's just that people who make beautiful things tend to be more interested in expressing sentiments that are more melancholy. Yeah, that's fair. Or at the very least, they try harder when they're expressing melancholy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, I guess they're technically... The lyrics are melancholy, but the sound isn't. No, yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess this is another thing that makes me wish I was more familiar with the lyrics, just because uh, there's an irony there juxtaposing this sound that, you know, sounds very cheerful with lyrical content that's like disenfranchisement under capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lyrical dissonance, baby. I guess like the next track, like Prisoner of Mars... I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I'm having a hard time remembering why. I have doubt that it's just sort of relaxed and balmy, and it's got sort of electronics in the atmosphere. And then there's some lyrics about searching for means to express your pain and virtue before silence destroys the soul. So hmm. Maybe this is one where they focused a little bit more on the lyrics, and so between language barrier and just generally... 
the fogginess of it, meaning that some, even if you do speak the language, the lyrics can sometimes be indiscernible when mm-hmm. it comes through all that well. Yeah. With headphones, there's some interesting stuff going on with like the back that I, I, I'm listening to it now as we're speaking about it. But the, mm-hmm. there, there's sort of these these high-pitched sort of clicking noises that appear to be passing between from the left channel to the right channel. And it's like, we, like it would be distracting, except that it's just sort of like gently put in there on top of this otherwise lush sound. Sort of, or not retro, like, a, yeah, well, yeah, retro, like synthesizer sort of sound, kind of like an organ. It's kind of, kind of a nice embellishment. But I think maybe the reason I didn't like it is I just thought it was shown up by the next song, Rainbow Conversation. Mm-hmm. That, was a really, that was another really nice beat. Another one that goes on the 5-4. Yeah, it just... I mean, I think it's really... Um, I didn't notice that it was in 5-4, but now that I'm... Now that you mention it, like... I think the tracks that just feel sort of more urgent... Are in five four, yeah. which is kind of it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I didn't notice it was in five four the first couple of times, and I think that part of that might just be because again they do such a good job at working with it that you don't even notice until you go like, wait a second, I can yeah. four step to this. I, um, I mentioned that like a, I was really interested in this refrain or this sort of like break like halfway through refractions in the plastic pulse where. It sort of feels like two songs, does And then there's well, like... I got these... at least like five. You think five? <laughs> it does change a lot, yeah, but like... Yeah. But there's a, there's a bit in there, I think it's like halfway through, that's just like... Maybe it's not... Where was it? There's just like this very intense... Oh, I know. Sure. Yeah, no, okay, yeah. So halfway through, there's, there's just this interesting thing going on where I'm... I forget what this technique is called, but it does have a name where you take like a drum track and then you basically use it as a track and you basically are using the waveform of the to determine how loud a uh, this other track is played. So you can end up doing something where you have like a rhythmic thing, but each time the... Uh, you know, the rhythmic instrument is played, it doesn't sound like a drum, like some something weird, a lot weirder, a lot more abstract. It could be an or It's a lot like a vocoder being used with, like, a keyboard, except instead of using, like, your mouth to manipulate the sound, you're using some other waveform, like a drum track or something. So that was, that was just sort of fun to see in there, and definitely an, another instance... But just like, okay, I'm paying attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> I did feel listening to Reflections of the Plastic Pulse. Maybe part of it is just because the lyrics were mostly in French, that, but it did feel like they could have missed out on an opportunity to make it flow into, like the different sections flow into each other a little bit more. I feel like it could have done that to hold me, because it does go on for like 15 minutes. Yeah, it's still a very nice one. It's still Stereo Lab. You know what they do, so. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm just going to run through real quick, and then you can run through one of the last few uh, Parsec. We like the sort of drum and bass sound, and then the glitch theme on the last third, and sort of the vocal hook where it's got more of the Afrobeat-style keys. Uh, ticker tape of the unconscious, I just have it was neat when it when the beat got wonky. And then Contro Natura, where it sort of starts off with the ethereal organ and sound effects, and then it turns into like sort of a house banger almost, but in the ethereal lab style. And there's a really there's a thing wah going on. Yeah. And ticker tape of the unconscious beautiful. I, I do also have on my notes for Contra Natura a lyric switch from choosing healing over destruction to an epithet for, for epitaph for a cruel world. It's like, yeah, the way that yeah. Contra Natura like opens up is really nice. Like that that organ like opening up the sound becoming wider. But it's like punctuated by these weird radio kind of blips that are going on. Yeah. Actually listening to it, I'm wondering if they took like a recording. And they just messed with it a little bit because it does sort of sound like animal noise. They've been distorted in some way, which is, uh, you know, fitting for an, for a song entitled Contra Natura, right? Take something that's natural and ruin it. <laughs> or, or, or at the very least, like alter distort it. Just this weird, uncanny valley of naturally arising. The artificial or the synthesized. So yeah, um, overall, th this is definitely going to become a favorite of mine. I'm going to play it on loop for a little while. Yeah. yeah maybe, we can, maybe we can re-record this last conversation in two weeks after I've listened to it a whole lot more. No. 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 Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely a very sort of pleasing listen, but we'll also like explore the things that they could do with sound. Lots of great use of melody and just general tone. It's a very nice listen. It's got some yeah. interesting lyrics. No one suits. Read them up. It's very... It doesn't sound like the only thing it sounds kind of like, and it doesn't even really like it. Sweet Trip, Velocity, Design, Comfort. It's always out to very singular yeah. like when you compare it to maybe melt banana but that's about it like like and this doesn't really sound like either of those it evokes those things to me just because they're so like syncretic this doesn't feel like it belongs to any movement i feel like you could play this and you wouldn't be able i wouldn't guess that it came out seven I would guess that's like the the cutting edge, twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a pretty big testament. Yeah, yeah. So you know, twenty twenty years out, sounds incredibly fresh. Yeah. So what's well, the shelf life of Stereo Lab longer than? Yeah. Well, that's about all the time we have for today, folks. The albums we listened to were Dots and Loops by Stereo Lab and Kick One by Arca. I'm Caleb Clark. I'm Gary Dunkerley. Thanks for having me on, Caleb. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, Gary. And thank you for listening to the Billy Shears Club. Bye.